On today's story session, a pair of tales about the ways adventure can go very right and very wrong. This is The Strange Feast and the Wandering of Thumbling. My name is Zach Stewart, and these are the Shadow Bear Story Sessions. Welcome to the Shadow Bear Story Sessions, the podcast about how brutally dark and totally insane folk tales and fairy tales used to be which in my opinion just made them way better and way more entertaining. So I've got the most true-to-the-original version of Grimace Fairy Tales that I could find, and we're going through it front-to-back, story-by-story. We'll figure out the difference between the intended lessons of each story and the actual lessons of each story. And at the end of each episode, I'll adapt the tale into a movie or TV show. So let's get right to it with today's first tale. Got another two-for-one today, titled... The Strange Feast. We begin. A blood sausage and a liver sausage had been friends for some time, and the blood sausage invited the liver sausage for a meal at her home. At dinner time, the liver sausage merrily set out for the blood sausage's house. But when she walked through the doorway, she saw all kinds of strange things. There were many steps, and on each of them she found something different. A broom and a shovel were fighting with each other, and there was a monkey with a big wound on his head, and more such things. Alright, well, we're one paragraph in, and this has already descended into an acid trip fever dream. The liver sausage was very frightened and upset by this. Nevertheless, she took heart, entered the room, and was welcomed in a friendly way by the blood sausage. The liver sausage began to inquire about the strange things on the stairs, but the blood sausage pretended not to hear her or made it seem it was not worth talking about, or she said something about the shovel and the broom such as, that was probably my maid gossiping with someone on the stairs, and she shifted the topic to something else. Well, this is a little reminiscent of a particular part of last week's story, The Godfather. This is even worse, because it seems more chaotic and unjustified and out of place. I mean, that last week, that was literally inside the house of death. But this is just the house of a sausage. I mean, there's a wounded monkey? Yeah, that's concerning. The liver sausage is probably like, hey, we should go help that fucking monkey. It needs medical attention. Pretty negligent to just ignore me and your injured monkey on the stairs. Also, it's super gaslighty of the blood sausage to be like, oh no, that, that fighting, what was it? The fighting shovel and broom. No, that was just my maid gossiping with someone on the stairs. So she's basically saying that, no, you didn't see that. You're just so insensitive that you only see people as household objects. You just see my maid as a broom. That's how much of an asshole you are. You're the, you're the crazy one, not me. Man, that is, that is a bold tactic from this blood sausage here. We continue. Then the blood sausage said she had to leave the room to go into the kitchen and look after the meal. She wanted to check to see that everything was in order and nothing had fallen into the ashes. The liver sausage began walking back and forth in the room and kept wondering about the strange things until someone appeared. I don't know who it was 
and said, Let me warn you, liver sausage, you're in a bloody murderous trap. You'd better get out of here quickly if you value your life. Oh shit, yeah, this is, this is bad. This is bad. Some random guy just barges in and is like, Get out of here if you want to live. Man, this is a bad situation for liver sausage here. I kind of respect the story for not even bothering to come up with a character and justification for the character to be there to deliver this warning. Very bold. Whoever wrote this was like, the identity of this character is irrelevant. All you gotta know is that they show up and say, you gotta go. Also, if this is a trap, then the blood sausage is doing a terrible job of setting it. If you're setting a trap, you want to make that person feel comfortable. Instead, there are so many red flags that the writer isn't even bothering to write them all down. Man, alright, we continue. The liver sausage didn't have to think twice about this. I would hope not, things are pretty clear at this point. She ran out of the door as fast as she could, nor did she stop until she got out of the house and was in the middle of the street. Then she looked around and saw the blood sausage standing high up in the attic window with a long, long knife that was gleaming as though it had just been sharpened. The blood sausage threatened her with it and cried out, If I had caught you, I would have had you. The end. <laughs> All right, well, that's just adorable. A little murderous sausage with a knife in the window. I mean, I know it's supposed to be menacing, but I just love the image of the sausage in the window with a knife. A sentient sausage holding a knife like, I almost had you. If you want a villain to be scary, don't make that villain a sausage. That line, too. If I had caught you, I would have had you. I mean, by definition, yeah, I guess. Really, though, she did catch her. She had her right there in her house, in the living room, when, when they were talking earlier. Then she just left the room. What, did she forget her knife in the other room? And by the time she retrieved it, the other sausage was gone? And who the hell was the guy who burst in and was like, get out of here? Is he another victim who's trapped there for some reason? Is he a friend of the murderer sausage who took pity on the liver sausage? And maybe they saw what happened to that poor monkey and they were like, no more, enough have suffered. Maybe they were a friend of the blood sausage and they were just sick of their buddy being such a murderous asshole. I got a lot of questions surrounding that particular character who they very pointedly made nameless. So I do wish that character's identity and backstory hadn't been so unceremoniously and aggressively dismissed by the writer. <laughs> I mean, this this really isn't a story that cares about logic consistency. It says that they're friends in the first sentence. So if they're friends, why does the blood sausage want to murder the liver sausage? We're missing some pretty crucial information here. What's the motivation? If they're friends, they've probably spent a good deal of time together as well on a number of different occasions. So the blood sausage likely had many opportunities to kill the other sausage. Okay, here's the entirety of the story. Someone gets invited to dinner by their friend. They show up and see a bunch of crazy violent shit in the house. The host says no, everything's fine, before stepping into a different room. A random person runs in, shouts, they're gonna kill you, and then runs away. Our protagonist runs outside and sees their friend in the window with a knife 
shouting, I almost had you. The end. So, I don't know what the point here is. Maybe trust your gut? If you see some sketchy shit, like wounded monkeys and sentient fighting household objects, just trust your instincts and get out of there. Or maybe the lesson is like, life is crazy and don't trust anyone. This is one of those stories that's just there to freak kids out, it seems like. This is one of those tales parents tell kids just to be like, shit's dangerous and people want to kill you, so keep an eye out, all right? Have have fun out there. Have a nice day. I, I definitely feel like my parents sometimes just wanted to freak me out like that so I didn't get overly confident as a child and take too many chances. Not sure if it was the right move. That's definitely open for debate, but it's definitely that something parents do. I'll bet that's how this story was written. Some kid hundreds of years ago was like, Eric invited us over for dinner with his family. Can we go? But the parent didn't want to go. So they just hastily made up this story and and were like, and so that's why we shouldn't go to dinner. I mean, it even sounds hastily thrown together with the way that one character shows up and the story literally says, don't know who that was. Don't know who this character is. Moving on. It's almost contemptuous of the reader, that line. Like, what, you gotta know who every character is? Fuck you, I don't remember. (laughs) Lastly, why was it called the Strange Feast? Nobody did any feasting. The sausage was just invited over for, quote-unquote, a meal. Not only did they not even begin that meal, but there was zero attention paid to the meal itself. It should have just been the strange invitation or the strange house. Or the strange guest. That guy who ran in. The strange intruder. Something like that. I don't know. But man, I am a fan. Regardless, this nonsensical crazy shit, love it. Love this story. That was such a quick story. I'm just going to move right on to the next story. We'll do an adaptation of this next one, which is titled The Wandering of Thumbling, The Tailor's Son. We begin. A tailor had a son who was small, not much larger than a thumb. Therefore, he was called Thumbling. However, he was filled with courage and said to his father, Father, I want to go out wandering. Fine with me, my son, said the old man, and he took a darning needle and put a lump of sealing wax on it in the light. Now you'll also have a dagger to take with you on your way. All right, I am already super into this. We've got a tiny little man with a tiny little needle sword ready to head out into the world looking for some adventure. And he does have to be real careful, though. I mean, at that size, you got to be on the lookout for birds and shit. A seagull could murder this little guy in a heartbeat. Needle dagger or not. Also, work out some human-sized transportation, because if he's walking, then it'll take a whole day just to get to the next street over. All right, we continue. The little tailor set out into the world, and his first work was with a master tailor. But the food wasn't good enough. Mistress, Thumbling said to the master's wife, if you don't give us better food, I'll take some chalk tomorrow and write too many potatoes, too little meat on the house door, and then I shall leave. <laughs> so he's, he's basically threatening her with a bad review written on their door. Firstly, that insult 
Totally sounds like a euphemism, by the way. But even if he wrote that on the door, it would be in tiny letters at the very bottom of the door. Nobody would ever be able to see that, or even notice that, or let alone read it. And the wife could probably easily just wipe it off with a damp rag. No problem. You would think it would be pretty easy to satisfy the food needs of someone who's the size of a thumb. He's complaining about not enough meat? Just get a tiny scrap of something from the butcher, and there you go. That's a whole feast for a little thumbling here. We continue. What do you want, you little grasshopper? replied the wife, who became angry, grabbed a washcloth, and wanted to beat him with it. However, my little tailor crawled quickly under the thimble, looked out from beneath it, and stuck out his tongue. She picked up the thimble, but Thumbling hopped into a bunch of washcloths, and as the wife began separating the washcloths to search for him, he crawled into a crack in the table. Hey, hey, my lady, he cried out and raised his head from the crack. As soon as the tailor's wife tried to hit him, he jumped into the drawers until she finally caught him and chased him out of the house. Got a nice little chase scene right there. Thumbling just being a little stinker. They make it sound fun for Thumbling, but it would, it would have been super easy for the woman to just accidentally kill him amidst all that chaos. He jumped in the washcloths. If she just smacked her hand down on the washcloths, little guy would have been crushed. And they weren't exaggerating when they said he's fearless. It's pretty, pretty impressive, a little Thumbling here. We continue. Now the little tailor continued wandering and came to a large forest where he met a band of robbers who wanted to steal the king's treasure. When they saw the little tailor, they thought he could be of great help to them. Hey, well, if they want his help, they better have some good food. From now on, Thumbling's always going to be like, what's the food plan? Whenever he's considering a job. So they spoke to Thumbling and said that he was a good and able fellow and that he should come along with them to the treasure chamber. Crawl inside and throw the money outside to them. He's way too tiny to throw treasure, though. Even a stack of bills he's too small for. Well, Thumbling agreed. So he went to the treasure chamber and examined the door to see if there was a crack in it. Fortunately, he soon found one and wanted to climb through it. But one of the guards said to his companions, Look at that nasty spider crawling over there. I'm going to stamp on it until I kill it. Hey, leave the spider alone, the other guard said. It's done nothing to you. Aw, it's, it's a very sensitive, nature-loving guard right there. Maybe he's Buddhist. This was how Thumbling fortunately made his way into the treasure chamber. Then he went to the window where the robbers were standing outside, and he threw one coin after another out the window. Even a coin is going to give this guy trouble. I guess I believe one at a time that that's possible, but still, that's some, that's some impressive stamina. If they get more than like 15 to 20 coins, this is, this is pretty, pretty impressive here. When the king examined his treasure chamber later, there was so much money missing that nobody could understand how it had been stolen because all the locks had been well protected. Damn, so he got a lot. He must have been working his ass off. He's like doing CrossFit or something with those coins. The king called for more guards who heard something rattling in the coins. They went inside and wanted to grab hold of the thief. He's still there? 
Why is he still there? Get out of there, man. What are you doing? But the little tailor sat down in a corner beneath a coin and cried out, Here I am. The guards ran over there while Thumbling leaped to another corner. And when they were at the first corner, he cried out, Here I am. The guards ran to the next corner. But Thumbling hopped to another corner once again and cried out, Here I am. This way he kept making fools out of them and kept doing this until they became tired and left the chamber. <laughs> now Thumbling gradually threw all the coins through the window. These are the worst guards ever. They know the thief is there, but they got tired, so they just left with a full knowledge that they're leaving the thief inside the treasure room to continue stealing treasure. Damn, this king is going to be pissed. They also could easily just monitor the area outside the window. Just put some guards there. Boom, problem solved. I don't know why the treasure room has a window to begin with. Even if it's got bars on it, there's a reason they don't put windows in bank vaults. All right. He sat himself down on the last one and went flying through the window. The robbers gave him tremendous praise and would have made him their captain if he had wanted that. Then they divided the loot, but Thumbling wouldn't take more than one coin because he couldn't carry more than that. Oh, that's a shame. Afterward, he resumed walking, and finally, since he was not having much success with tailoring, he hired himself out as a servant at an inn. Why didn't he stay with the bandits? That was going really well. If he'd stayed with them, they probably would have all been sharing the wealth from their score with the king's treasure, so presumably one of the other guys could have just held on to his gold for him. Especially if he was the leader, like they offered. But nope, I guess this guy's his wandering spirit has to roam. Can't be tied down, even to a roaming group of bandits. But being a servant at an inn sounds, sounds pretty tied down, to be honest, so... I mean, honestly, he'd make a terrible servant, too. What manual labor can he do? Can't clean shit, can't deliver food, it's all too big. Terrible servant. However, the maids weren't fond of him, because he saw everything they did in secret without their noticing it. Then he reported them afterward. As a result, they wanted very much to play a prank on him. So one time, when he went for a walk in the meadow, where a maid was mowing the grass... She mowed him together with the grass and threw the grass and thumbling to the cows when she returned home. Then the black cow swallowed thumbling, and he was now cooped up inside the cow and heard that evening that the cow was to be slaughtered. Since his life was in danger, oh, now his life's in danger? He's already survived being mowed like grass and fucking eaten by a cow. I don't know why this is worse. The lawnmower should have torn him the hell apart instantly. That's not a prank, maid. That's just straight-up murder. If anything, finding out that the cow is going to be slaughtered would be good news. Because that, that means it'll be cut up and you can jump out. Continuing, since his life was in danger, he cried out, I'm here. Where are you? In the black cow. However, people couldn't understand him. And the cow was slaughtered. <laughs> well, it seemed like they could understand him after the first thing he said, after he cried out, I'm here. And wouldn't it be obvious where the voice is coming from when it's literally inside a cow? 
These people must know that a tiny thumb-sized man is working on this land or nearby, right? I mean, I feel like that news would get around town, you know? So these guys heard this voice speaking to them, but after they couldn't understand where the voice was coming from, somehow, even though it's coming from the cow, they probably thought the cow was talking. They were just like, ah, forget it. It's probably fine. Let's ignore the panicked voice and murder this cow now. Hey, did you hear that? That tiny new guy is missing. Wonder, wonder where he is. Fortunately, he wasn't struck by the blows to the cow and became mixed with the sausage meat. When this meat was about to be chopped up, he cried out, Don't chop too deeply. Don't chop too deeply. I'm stuck beneath the meat. Because of all the noise, however, nobody heard him. So Thumbling jumped quickly between the chopping knives, avoiding any harm. But he couldn't get away completely and was stuffed into a blood sausage that was hung in the chimney to be smoked until winter, when the sausage was to be eaten. Well, when his lodging was eventually sliced open, he jumped out and ran away. So he survived all the way until winter? <laughs> and they say when his lodging was eventually sliced open. Is that, so they mean when the sausage was served to someone on a plate to eat? Because that would be terrifying. Someone cuts into a sausage and a little guy jumps out and runs away. I mean, I guess he, he probably survived by eating the sausage filling, right? But he definitely would have suffocated in a sausage casing. And he's got to do his, his business somewhere in there too, right? I don't, I don't want to be gross, but, but when that person sliced into that sausage, it probably would have been a chaotic, disgusting mess. And then this little guy jumps out amidst all that filth and runs away. And someone was probably like, hey, it's that servant who disappeared months ago. I wonder how the maids felt. They definitely must have assumed they killed him. Sounds like they meant to, to be honest. That's not a prank. Running over a tiny man with a lawnmower and then feeding the grass to a cow. That's, that's the plan for the perfect crime murdering the guy with a lawnmower and then getting rid of the evidence by having a cow eat the body with its grass. And then after they didn't hear anything from him for a long time, they definitely knew or thought they killed him. We continue. Now the little tailor wandered again. However, a fox came across his path and snatched him. Mr. Fox, Thumbling cried, you've got me. Let me go. All right, said the fox. Since there's not very much of you, I'll let you go if you get your father to give me all the hens in the chicken yard. Damn, this is a clever fox. Knows what he's doing. So Thumbling swore that he'd do this, and the fox carried him to his home and was given all the hens in the chicken yard. Meanwhile, the little tailor brought his father the one coin that he had earned from all his wanderings. He's still got that coin? Managed to hold on to that thing through all of this? I mean, we know he could only carry one, and it would be pretty large in relation to his body, so we know the one coin was heavy to him. And, and he took that coin everywhere. It is damned impressive that he managed that. Nice of him to give it to his father, too. But why did the fox get all the poor little hens to eat? Thumbling asked. Oh, you fool. A father certainly loves his child more than he does his hens. The end. Oh, that's actually a really sweet ending. I mean, the tailor definitely could have just, just killed the fox and kept his hens. It's just a fox. 
This is clearly a totally lawless cutthroat society. But it's nice that it's nice that he honored his son's promise and was clearly totally fine with it. So boom, Fox made away with a huge haul of chickens. I actually really like this story. Thumbling goes out, has crazy adventures, gets a bit of money, comes back. Father is supportive of him leaving and also happy to have him back and doesn't care about material things like the hens. Did that needle sword that he gave him ever come in handy, though? I don't think he ever used it. And he definitely had opportunities, especially with the fox at the end there. Never used the sword. Oh well. As far as lessons go, this story is is packed full of good lessons. The value of getting out and experiencing things, value of those you love and the unimportance of material things in comparison, that you should support your loved ones going out and experiencing things even if you worry about them. Those are definitely the intended lessons of this one, I think. And all great. All great lessons. Man, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of this story. For some literal lessons to take from this one, I don't know, feed your employees well. Thumbling got super pissed at that one job solely because the food wasn't good. I mean, I used to work on production sets, and it's shockingly true how much of an impact food has on the morale of a group of people. One day we were working overtime, and the food was super late, and there was almost a riot. But if you feed people well, everyone's happy. So that's, that's literal lesson number one. Number two, don't let a thief steal from you just because you're tired. Also, use your head in that situation. The guards just kept running after him, all clearly all huddled together. So he kept running from one corner to the next. Think it through, guards. Think it through. Have one guard stay in each corner. So when he moves, someone's there. can catch him. Or fan out in a line and then close in on him. Seal up the window. Trap him inside until he starves. Plenty of solutions here. So there's another lesson. If someone's taking advantage of you or trying to get the better of you, keep calm, use your head, get a plan, and don't then leave and let the guy take your shit just because you're tired and can't be bothered. Third lesson, snitches get stitches. He was snitching on maids, and then they got him eaten by a cow and trapped in a sausage for months. So that's another lesson. Be nice to your coworkers, have each other's backs, and everyone will be happier. If you gotta work with these people, you should all be on the same side, and all be helping each other. In fairness, it never says what the maids were doing that he was snitching on. I mean, if, if they were stealing, then that's one thing. If they were, like, stealing from customers or people. And yeah, Thumbling probably would have been in the right to tell someone if they were stealing from people or doing, doing really, really dark stuff. But if they were just, like, sitting down for a rest every once in a while, or Thumbling was just spying on them and reporting everything that they were talking about, and, and you know, that's just total invasion of privacy, really not cool... Admittedly, some more information would have been helpful there. But yeah, support your, your coworkers. Don't, don't be ratting them out on stuff. Last lesson, though. If you hear a random voice while about to butcher a cow or something, don't just ignore it and move on because you can't immediately make out the exact words. I mean, from the butcher's perspective, for all they knew, they just slaughtered a talking cow. The, boy, the voice was coming from the cow, but it's a little muddled. So they're just like, screw it, let's kill it. It's like, hey, Cal might have just been learning to talk, so it was a little unclear, but it was getting better with its linguistic skills. And now you've just gone and killed it. Just give it a minute, guys. Take a minute. Think it through. If something unexplained is happening, figure it out before moving forward. 
So those are those are the extra literal lessons I'm going to take here. All right, now let's adapt this thing. So we're going to make this a series because I like the idea of following the continuing adventures of Thumbling. And I want to keep this one somewhat close to the original, at least to begin with. So we'll have Thumbling still be a tailor's son, and he'll be played by Kevin Hart. And yes, it's because Kevin Hart is short. He won't be the size of a thumb. It's just it's just too small. You can't have it. You can't do much when you're the size of a thumb. So let's make him the size of, of like a hand or a forearm, something like that. Like nine or ten inches tall, maybe. That way he's still super fucking small, but I feel like he could do more stuff. And so the tailor then will be played by Morgan Freeman, because I like the image of him as, as a wise old tailor teaching Kevin Hart lessons. So Kevin Hart is like, I'm sick of all these clothes day after day. I got to get out there and explore. Morgan Freeman says, well, I'll worry, but I know you must. So here, take this sword. And he fashions him a legit little sword, not just a needle with a lump of wax like in the original story, because in this story, he's going to use that thing. He's going to use that sword. So first he goes out and he takes up work with a baker in a nearby town. I don't know why in the original story, Thumbling leaves his father a tailor and initially just goes out and works for another tailor. He could have just stayed home if that's all you were going to do. So in our version, he goes out and works for a baker and he likes the work gets to make little specialty confections because he's so small, so he can do super detailed stuff. And the baker likes him, but the baker feeds him terribly. Bad food, two little potatoes, not enough meat, and doesn't let him actually eat the sweets that they're making, the baked goods. So Kevin starts complaining, and he's like, this is bullshit, man. You've got delicious sweets all over the place, but all you let me eat are potatoes. This sucks. If you don't start getting some better food... I'm going to get someone to change the sign on the bakery to just say potato house because you just you sell tasty treats. But all I'm getting is potatoes. But the baker, who let's say he's played by Nick Offerman, he doesn't care about food himself, doesn't care about the food he himself eats. So he just eats boring, bland stuff and refuses to get meat or tastier things for Kevin Hart. So one day Kevin Hart just snaps. And while Nick Offerman is going to the bathroom, Kevin just takes all the trays of pastries out of the ovens throws them all over the bakery, just dumps a bunch of potatoes into the ovens in their place, making a statement. And he throws flour all over the place, and he's trashing the place, and Nick Offerman comes back, and Kevin Hart flees and runs out the door and into the forest. And that's where he runs into a group of bandits. And initially, they want to kill him and take his cute little sword, but he manages to convince them that he'd be a great thief. He's like, why kill me? You, you see how small I am? I can get in anywhere. I'm little, I'm sneaky, perfect for you guys. You guys need me. And so the bandits, the leader of whom will be played by like Joel McHale, he's like, all right, well, we'll give you a shot. Get into the king's treasury and steal something to prove yourself. And so they go to the castle, and Kevin Hart sneaks all the way into the vault where he sees a gold vase, and he waits for someone to come inside, and then when they leave, he slips out, and he makes his way down the hall, and every time someone is about to pass by, he flips the vase upside down and over the top of his head so that he's inside of it. And it just looks like a decorative vase just sitting there. And there's all sorts of shiny things all over the castle, so the gold vase doesn't really stand out just, just sitting there. And the bandits are waiting near the castle, and sure enough, they turn to see that gold vase with little legs sticking out the bottom running towards them. And they're like, we, we didn't think you could do it, but you pulled it off. Welcome to the team. 
But Kevin Hart is like, I'm going to be honest. I know I'm a good thief, but that shit was terrifying. I, I am not cut out for it. Do you see how sweaty I am? I almost had a heart attack like three times. You guys, you guys keep the vase. I don't even care. I got to go. I can't do this, guys. Being a bandit, not for me. And the bandits are like, all right, well, we'll here, take this and best of luck. And they pop a couple gemstones out of the golden vase and give them to Kevin Hart and bid him farewell. So then he decides to work at an inn where the innkeeper basically just thinks he's funny and likable. So he employs him to, to check people in and deal with customers. And he actually, he loves it there. He even hits it off with one of the maids and they have a little romance going. And let's say the maid is played by Natasha Leggero, very funny comedian. But, li- but little does he know that she's actually married to the butcher and chef who works at the inn and in town. And that'll be played by, I don't know, who would be a good butcher? Jack Black. And one day the butcher busts him and catches him and wraps him up in a sausage casing and is about to put him in the oven. But Kevin Hart manages to, to pull out his sword and cut himself out from the sausage. And then we have a crazy sword fight between Kevin Hart and Jack Black using super sharp chef's knives and cleavers and butcher's tools. Kevin's jumping all over the kitchen as Jack Black throws knives and, and uses a knife as a sword to fight him. And finally, Natasha Leggero runs in and gets between them and slows down Jack Black just enough for Kevin Hart to run away. And Kevin's like, I'm just going to go home now. I miss my dad, Morgan Freeman. And so he's on his way when a fox comes out of nowhere and tries to attack him. But he manages to fight him off with a sword and escape. But the fox keeps, keeps stalking him for days. And finally, the fox attacks him again. And Kevin is like, listen, we, we don't need to fight. Just get me home and I'll give you a whole chicken. That's more meat than, than I've got on my whole body. And the fox is like, oh, all right, we'll hop on. And Kevin Hart hops on the fox's back and rides all the way home. And as they ride, they talk and strike up a friendship because they realize they're both they're both wanderers just trying to do the best they can wherever they are. And when they arrive back home, Morgan Freeman happily welcomes him back and invites the fox to stay for supper and says, you know, you could stay here. We've always got extra food for a friend. And the fox stays and Kevin Hart and Morgan Freeman are reunited and they live happily ever after the end and that will do it for this week's story session don't forget to rate review and subscribe come on back next week for a story titled fitcher's bird who is fitcher why does he have a bird what's so special about this bird i'm sure you're just swimming in questions so come on back next week and I'll throw you a life raft of answers. Is that metaphor a little over elaborate? Yes, definitely. Anyway, that's all for me. My name is Zach Stewart, and these are the Shadow Bear Story Sessions. <laughs> <laughs>